Thanks for praying, William. It's great. So you've already prayed, and I wouldn't mind just praying again. Thank you, Lord. Wherever we are, there you are. And wherever we are, we tend to be around brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, what a joy to be here this morning in this beautiful place. Trust you to enable me, and you would be uh, my guide, uh, the power behind uh, the voice that your name might be glorified in our meeting. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I put the kind of an outline thing here, and, and I mentioned something I said to Natalia for a theme I've been thinking of is uh, one of what, we, what I say is continuity, having to do with being around for a while and the importance of that. And a question I'll ask you right here, when I mention that word continuity, uh, who, who in your life do you think of as having stuck around uh, to do the job and, and they've influenced you? The Lord's used them as a, a conduit of his, his grace or his teaching. Can you think of somebody like that? And, uh, and I like to ask uh, groups uh, even to just kind of name somebody and say, what, what something pops into your mind? Uh, what quality did God put in that person? Or what kind of obedience did that person have that you observed and has influenced you? So, how there I am. Anybody want to say, oh, so-and-so, and you name them? And, yeah. Who? Powell? I've heard that name already. Yeah. And name, name of quality, something you think of. Okay. Well, consistency in your life. Yeah. Just, just keep going. If you want to say more about Bill and Rhoda, or <laughs> somebody else? Who is that? Art? Art Seal? No, sir. What's that? Welsh or something? What is it? I certainly... Oh, yes. And what's the? Where is that person? Way back. Way. All right. And and what's what's the quality? Oh boy. Well, man. Well. Yeah. Let's keep going with that. Anybody else? All right. Well, don't we hope our wives say something like that? <laughs> Isn't it a joy to see your spouse uh, reading the Word or talking to the Lord? <laughs> uh, hmm. Well, anybody else? Dad. Dad. <laughs> Same thing. We want that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tell Karen because I might beat her into heaven. She's a bit younger than me, and I say. Don't, don't canonize me at the funeral. You, everybody knows me too well. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Well, true, true leadership. And I observed that in uh, being around William, yeah, organized in the, to the glory of God.
Mm. Mm. Well, <coughs> I got a crown at the end of the kingdom. Ain't that good news? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I was traveling with a corral years ago, and we put a concert on in the Ford Museum in Dearborn, Michigan, and we sang that song that I just gave you a line from. <laughs> yeah. Okay, someone else? Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. You've all heard that saying for personal evangelism. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. To say that. Yeah. Anyone else? Don't want to cut you off. <clears throat> Makes me think of the uh, preacher. The salary was getting a bit thin. He took a job as a lifeguard. And, uh, so you know when you want help from the lifeguard? And someone, he says, I see that hand. Is there another? <laughs> 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 yeah. Anyone else? Hmm. <clears throat> what I've got here is, and I'm thinking about that word continuity, someone who's been around for us. Uh, we know we can call them and, and we might wake them up, but they're going to wake up fast and say, hey, what can I do for you? Hmm. I met a lady... Uh, just uh, recently, and her husband's a professional in the uh, antiques business, but a real honest fellow, and she gave me his phone number, and it had it on another context it was, but she said, what he's going to say to you right away is, what can I do to help you? What can I do for you? Don't we feel that with people? Yeah. <clears throat> on this little outline here, I've got a sketch of the history of my being discipled. And uh, I grew up uh, 21 miles uh, southwest of Sydney, Australia. It was a rural community that's been gobbled up by suburbia since I uh, grew up there. Used to be uh, vineyards, orchards, dairies, and streets and houses now. But I, that's where I grew up. <clears throat> and my parents modeled fruitful commitments to Christ and obedience to the Great Commission. Can you think of that with also with the parents of someone? And of course, that, that Great Commission, we all know it's, it's for you and for me. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. <laughs> and Jesus came up and spoke to them, his followers saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I was home in Australia on a little sabbatical right in November, December of 2019. And as soon as I arrived, I had to be at a memorial service for a dear friend of mine, a lady in her 80s then, but I knew her when she was a you know, real young woman. 
had to be at that memorial service. And I, one of the boys that used to be in the youth group when I was in Australia, now a pastor, he, he led the, the service. But in talking about Janice, the one who had, had died, <clears throat> I shared with people the memory of when I called her. She was on the staff of a Bible college in the Sydney area. <clears throat> and I'd been doing some correspondence courses uh, with them, uh, just been saved a couple of years before. And I called to tell her, because I didn't want a big fuss to be made about the fact that I was taken off from North America you know, a few months later. And so I told her, I said, you know, Janice, I wanted to tell you that I'm actually uh, going to be uh, going to Canada to uh, go to Prairie Bible Institute in Alberta, Canada. And straight out of Janice's mouth, just, she just said, fear thou not, <laughs> for I am with thee. See me getting choked up? <laughs> hmm. I will strengthen thee, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness, you know, Isaiah 41. And uh, at the time when Janice died, I shared that I, I could still hear her sweet voice saying that on the phone to me and how true Jesus says to us, doesn't he? Lo, I am with you always. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed. For I am thy God, I will strengthen thee, help thee, uphold thee. Isn't that beautiful? <clears throat> so as you and I get more motivated as we grow in our lives to fulfill that commission and the process, trying to get a few people saved <laughs> and uh, grounding them in the word, taking personal responsibility for individuals along that line. Is that making sense a little bit? <clears throat> Well, I talked about my parents fulfilling it, and I said the way that I observed this, Ephesians 6, 4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Some of my experiences of Sunday school and church were sad to say negative and discouraging those inconsistent, even hypocritical people are actually a stumbling block to me as a child and teenager. I hope nobody here can identify with that. But sometimes it happens when you, doesn't it? <clears throat> I remember at five years old seeing two or three leaders in the little church we attended uh, having an argument about something. Are you calling me a liar? I was five years old when I heard that. <laughs> And that particular guy was a terrible stumbling block to me. Thank the Lord there were true disciples who loved the Lord and showed that love to me and others. And I named them <clears throat> here. A lady, her name was Jean, and her husband Brian, last good German name, Rethmuller. And when I was five, I, I was a cute little guy. I was a blob, you know. It didn't last. <laughs> and I can still remember how I loved Jean. She was my little kindergarten or something Sunday school teacher. And I probably melted her heart because I remember saying to her, she was teaching, and I loved her. She's, I said, Jean, your eyes are like lights. And I bet she melted with it when I said that to her, you know. 
<clears throat> and, and growing up, there was, there was a woman that was always there, and her husband, Brian, an engineer, big German. Hitler would have not killed that guy. <laughs> he was a, <laughs> yeah, he's a classic Aryan big guy. You know? <clears throat> and all through my life, they were, Gene and Brian, and I, I do, you notice when I'm talking, I tend to give a little side things uh, if, you, if you don't feel drifting off track too much. But coincidentally, when I landed in Sydney in uh, November of 2019, and my close friend uh, who raises Wagyu beef in my home state, he picked me up at the airport and drove me to that funeral. I walked in, and it was Brian's son leading the funeral, as I mentioned. And Brian, now in his 90s, and I walked in, and it was just like he and I had seen each other last week. And I'm not on him that often. He looks at me, he says, G'day, how you going? <laughs> you know that I can still speak Australian when you hear that. <laughs> and and uh, he says, G'day, how you going? G'day, how are you going? Hey, Brian. And I said, You're in my testimony. Ah, he said, Thanks. <laughs> and, uh, and so there was a contrast, those two people. I could give you a biography of them. But then another uh, couple. Dave and Lydia Stanton. And I'll mention Dave a little later in very personal context, but uh, Dave Stanton, uh, have you ever heard uh, stories of the uh, World War II uh, conflicts in North Africa, in uh, Libya? And there was a group called the Desert Rats. There was a, even a series on TV years ago about the Desert Rats. Dave Stanton was one of those desert rats fight, fighting Rommel. You know, Erwin Rommel, the, yeah, the desert fox. And there was that guy, Dave Stanton. In that, when those conflicts ended, Dave went straight from there to Borneo and fought against the Japanese. And from Borneo to the jungles of New Guinea. It's an awful place for Australians to be. It was called the Kokoda Trail, up to their waist in mud fighting the Japanese. Dave, after I ended up going, I was a barefoot kid going to school, and they still in Australia have uh, release time for scripture, believe it or not. Australia's a pretty pagan country, it really is. But uh, they still have, and when I was a kid, they had scripture teachers come, and if depending on what your affiliation was, well, Dave Stanton in mid-grades was my uh, scripture teacher in public school. Mm. And uh, he served the Lord, and I'll say a little more about him. But then my parents, my uh, father, and our eldest son is named after him. His name was Carl Campbell Nicholson, Carl with a C. He was in the Shetland Islands, and I already said that he wasn't a pony, but he used to horse around a lot. You know, But uh, he... He was one tough son of a gun. He was a North Sea sailor. He told me he'd been in 60-foot seas in the Atlantic, North Sea, and his father was a well-known skipper, was the captain of the flagship of the Shetland Islands, Captain William Nicholson, quite famous as my grandfather. And uh, Dad ended up in Australia. And uh, even though the Shetlanders don't think of themselves as being uh, so Scottish, although it's kind of part of Scotland, but it used to be part of Norway, and they think of themselves as being Vikings. He grew up speaking a 
uh, language, they call it Nordic, Viking language. And he could speak that language and English and Scottish Gaelic. Um, when he ended up in Australia, of course, he was uh, um, still a pretty tough guy, but God got a hold of my father, and I only remember him as a man of God. No sissy about him either. And my mom, who grew up in the farm, milk, and Jersey cows, morning and evening, and they met. And my father used to tell, because there's street meetings coming to this story after a little bit, and I hope when I do share this, it's an encouragement to you, just looking back over what God hath wrought, how, how much mercy he's shown me. And I just give you this little story. I hope it is in, you know, encouraging to tell it. But he used to tell a story uh, uh, in, uh, as a sailor. He'd be in port with his sailor buddies, and it was a pretty rough bunch. And he's in Glasgow, and... Uh, there's a street meeting, and they'd be there listening to the street meeting. And um, I don't know if you've heard uh, stories about the 30s and 40s in the Hebrides, the Scottish islands. There was a huge revival that broke out there. And uh, But way back in the day, my dad was in Glasgow with his buddies. Here's a guy, evangelist, preaching in the street of Glasgow. And Pop, my, we always call my dad Pop. Everybody in the family called him Pop. <laughs> and uh, Pop was there, and this, my, my dad could detect uh, one of the Hebrides Island dialects, uh, accents. So he yells, not really, uh, uh, you know, harassing him, but he says, Hey, where are you from? And the preacher turned to him with his sailor buddies. He points and says, It's nowhere you come from, it's where do you go on it matters. <laughs> so, you think my dad remembered that? Well, yes, sir, E. Bob. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> and dad would tell stories, very moving ones, of <clears throat> how God got a hold of him and some of the life that he lived before that. <clears throat> now, being a regular Aussie bloke, <clears throat> Calling somebody a bloke is not an insult. <laughs> yeah. If we Australians say, ah, he's a good bloke, that's a compliment. <clears throat> if they, somebody says, good on you, that's a blessing. And uh, <clears throat> being a regular Aussie bloke, while Jean Reithmuller and Lydia Stanton and mum, my mother, Vera Nicholson, certainly wore bright lights along the way, I remember in particular those three men, Brian Reithmuller, Dave Stanton, and my dad, Carl Nicholson, as I said. We all still talk about pop, still quoting. <laughs> Those three guys took seriously and personally the scriptural standards and qualities of leadership and effective discipleship. I was aware of that as a young guy. Still read. I was still far from God as a teenager, believe it or not. Hmm. But I remember it. And I like what Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4 or 5. But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. What a, against some negative models that I grew up around. These men, along with their wives, 
sober in all things, enduring hardship. I know about some of that with them. Do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry. And some of the beginnings of discipling examples affecting me go back to my early teen years when my dad went through a kind of personal revival. Hmm. While I was steadily drifting away from Sunday school, church and youth groups, he would be getting up before 4 a.m. to pray and read the Word. Can you imagine as a teenager? I tell you, I was, I was drifting from the Lord. But wow, what a signpost my dad was through that personal transformation. <clears throat> to pray and read the Word. <laughs> and he entered a new dynamic phase of his Christian walk, including leading people to Christ and even planning a new church that met in a schoolhouse. We all know about that in small towns in Montana, don't we? <laughs> Been part of that. What's that? I wondered about it. <laughs> Denton Bible Church used to be the Coffee Creek School. <laughs> yeah, and that was, you got it, man, you guys. We all know that we're all tired with the same brush, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and until the congregation moved into a new building, here am I about... 15, 16, and uh, one guy that he led to Christ, uh, being kind of a tough fellow, my dad, uh, you know, was pretty good among hard-working guys, and there was one gym uh, in the, one of the community not far from us, and he would just drift into this gym. He didn't even work out with these guys just to get to know them and led several of the these guys working out. I think a number of them would be ex-servicemen, you know, veterans too, but one guy named Reg, the tough guy, pop led to Christ, became an elder in that church, I think leading elder. And when the church got big, and here I am still not right with the Lord, the, the church, the new church building was just full of people. And Reg stood up and said to him, how many people in here can say Carl Nicholson led you to Christ? Whoa. You get sappy when you're old. <laughs> yeah, I still remember. They all stood up. He personally led so many of those people to Christ. Wow, what a message mm, to me, and what an influence of what discipling is all about. And that's that living and loving before the Lord. About um, that, you know. Everybody's standing. Something that Karen and I have prayed about over the years, and I'd only like to share some things with you about how we've seen just the Lord in His mercy bring people to Himself, even through you know people like us. I think some of you can testify the same way, can't you? It's another thing. We're in different churches all the time, and this happens occasionally. Um, the pastor places where we'll minister, you know, one way or another, we'll say, is there any couple here that Graham and Karen did not do your wedding? <laughs> yeah. and that's pretty, pretty common up in the Golden Triangle. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> Now, in 1959, you get the feeling I'm kind of an old geezer? <laughs> and, yeah, I always tell the high school boys, Hey, I'm older than your grandfather. Give me some respect. 
Doesn't work. <laughs> Doesn't help. But 1959, Billy Graham had the biggest crusade so far was in Sydney. And they, where I used to be sometimes, I was somewhat into sports of one thing or another. And the Sydney Cricket Ground and the Sydney Showground, big arenas. Billy Graham meeting that, those arenas were just packed. And I still remember I went along to one or two of those meetings and I had a little clock ground eight millimeter movie camera. You remember those ones you wound them up? You know, I had one of them. And I'm sitting up there looking over a balcony from somewhere up in the bleachers or whatever. And they start, Billy gives this uh, appeal. They start singing, just as I am without one plea, that thy blood was shed for me. Crowd's going forward. I saw one of my high school buddies go forward. We had military cadet training in those days, and he was wearing his army cadet uniform. Yeah, guy by the last name of Johnston. He went forward. I knew he was getting going forward to get saved, and I wasn't <laughs> saved. Yeah. I remember taking with my little eight mil thing pictures of the crowds and the stand there where Billy Graham was, and they had this huge marquee sign that was usually for sporting events said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Hmm. Not yet. <clears throat> How many people here, and I will say this before I say it, don't rag on Facebook. Facebook is a great tool for communicating the word. I have 1,700 Facebook friends, and my wife has almost the same number. And I believe strongly in, in that, using it. My mother used to have a saying about uh, maybe funds being given to the church net by people you weren't too sure whether they were saved or not. And my mother said, well, I let the devil have a monopoly on it. <laughs> <laughs> Except that anyhow, <laughs> right? And, and I hear people ragging on the internet, and uh, sometimes I think they're a little off balance about it. Yeah, what an amazing thing it is, and we are well equipped with computers. Uh, our eldest son, Carl, named after my dad, is our uh, tech, we contract with him, our ministry contracts with our eldest son. That's a big chunk of their business, but also of their outreach to people. And uh, one thing I like to do, I posted on Good Friday uh, a scripture and a couple of songs, hundreds of responses to that posting. They're out there, people are hungry for it. Yeah, I even quoted Isaiah 53 and a couple of, couple of hymns. But this communication that goes, if you get savvy about it and how to use it, I just have a, I'm thankful for it. And coming up <clears throat> uh, this fall, you'll see something that I pretty much post the same way every year. <clears throat> and the top of the entry says this, September 25th, 1960. Another September celebration coming up soon. 
Now, my name's Graham Carl Nicholson, now H. Nicholson. Look it up and you'll see it. Um, and I, I'll say this, uh, each year, no, I put another September celebration coming up soon, September 25th, 1960, September 25th, 2023. That'll say September 25th, wow, 63 years. Every year, you'll see it on there, I feel joyfully compelled to share a version of my diary entry for a September date, September 25th, 2023, will be the 63rd anniversary of September 25th, 1960, when the Lord Jesus Christ made me His own redeemed and transformed child. My parents were praying earnestly for me. And our dear World War II combat veteran, Dave Stanton, was standing by <clears throat> to lead me to Christ when I attended an evangelistic meeting at the Little Gospel Hall where I had attended Sunday school as a child. We lived right next to that little hall. Two years or so of my pretty much avoiding all Christian activities meant my being present at the church meeting was an unusual event. And I'll just say on the side, uh, my parents were very brave through this time. They set the example of involvement, having prayer. Even when I'd be taken off going somewhere and maybe shouldn't have been going, my dad would say, oh, son, I'd like you to be in the house of the Lord. Let me pray with you. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Stab. <laughs> so they, they didn't believe in forcing us to go. Two years or so of my pretty much avoiding all Christian activities meant my being present at the church meeting was an unusual event. However, the Holy Spirit, who had already been convicting me through recent 1960 events, was present too, drawing me inexorably to go forward. Remember that? Do we still say going forward? To go forward at the close as the congregation sang Charlotte Elliott's classic hymn. Again, a little inter interpolation a few weeks before I was around when three of my friends got killed in a car wreck. I saw him pull a sheet over one of them. Alex, real chick magnet was Alex Sipos. He was on the state junior soccer team, the state of New South Wales. That'd be about the equivalent of being on a national team here. He died right across, and I was in the emergency room to do with something else. I saw him pull a sheet over Alex. And the parents came in thinking I'd been in a wreck too. What happened? What happened? Well, I said that the Lord was drawn on, drawn on me through that. And I remember right when Dave Stanton was the guy up there giving the appeal to come forward and get saved. And we have this little book. I still have one of them. It's called Redemption Songs. It just says uh, the lyric of a thousand hymns in a little red Thing. I still have one of them. And one of them was just as I am with that one plea. And they had us just like a Billy Graham meeting. And I remember kind of holding that and somebody beside me and I knew the Lord was telling me, I want you. And that book was shaking while we were singing that song. Can you identify with that a little bit? I will mention after a while that Karen told me to uh, be sure to do, um, you'll see me uh, drinking a lot of water. Seven years ago, I had a, a killer stroke. It's 
you look at a standard miracle, not a mild one, the one that kills you, ischemic, hemorrhagic. And uh, I had just taught a class at NBC that week, and I came back at, from Bozeman, and I said to Karen, well, I think it might have gone all right. <laughs> but something's wrong. A real close friend of ours, a, a heart surgeon, came over to our house. It was Friday night when I got back. And Karen told me later, he was standing behind me, shit gone. Next morning, I'm in the emergency room. <laughs> he said that to Karen. Take Graham to the emergency room the next morning. And that stroke hit me on a Saturday. Um, people say to me, uh, God still has things for you to do. And I say, yeah, he wants me to keep annoying people for a while yet. <laughs> so, but it is. Man, everything came back. Field vision, speech, coordination, even what level of strength. We've commercial, commercial fished in the Bering Sea a lot over the years and probably a little stronger than I look. <laughs> but uh, but uh, strength came back and uh, what you call executive function, all kinds of therapy, but pretty much, except a few things, Karen warned me to tell you, I still don't track signals sometimes. You can be trying to, sometimes at a counter they're trying to hand me my change, and I'm, duh, you know. <laughs> and, uh, so Karen told me to tell you people if I do it, you know, just <laughs> smile. <laughs> and uh, but also I'm eternally thirsty. It's like, that's, that can be a sign of diabetes, but, uh, but it's just to do with that stroke. It's my medications. That, and Karen is my caregiver a number of medications, morning and evening, every day. My sure married an amazing woman. I wish she was up here. You'd like her. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but I'm going to go back just to quote the words of that song because I still get choked up when I hear it. We're at the Billy Graham Center in North Carolina not too long ago, and they kind of mock up... Uh, one of these crusades and the choir is singing this song. Like I said, I'm getting sappy. <laughs> Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee. Oh, Lamb of God, I come. 16 years and 10 months old. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot. Oh, Lamb of God, I come. Can you hear me okay? <clears throat> Just as I am, poor, wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind, yea, all I need in thee to find. Oh, Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt Welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, thy love unknown has broken every barrier down. Now to be thine, yea, thine alone, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Can you see how you can use uh, Facebook for the good? <laughs> yeah. I taught public high school for a number of years, and to this day, if I put something really super Christian in, there'll be one of my, or two, some of my former students, they'll put a likes or a loves on it. I don't know where they are with the Lord. <laughs> but uh, 
it's a great it's a great tool. And on on in this posting, you'll see if you look in 25th of September, with Brother Dave's help that night, repenting as a needy sinner, I confessed with my mouth Jesus Christ as Lord, and believed in my heart that God raised him from the dead. How about for simplicity? Romans 10, 9 and 10. Ever heard that song? Romans 10 and 9 is a favorite verse of mine. Ever heard that one? <laughs> Confessing Christ as Lord, I am saved by grace divine. <laughs> In prayer, I repented of my sin <clears throat> and committed my life to the Lord as my personal Savior. Now, 63 years later, and after 56 years of marriage, it would take a book to share just a little of what it means to both Karen and me to belong to Christ, to raise children who believe in Him too, to experience His amazing grace and mercy, to serve Him, to see Him continually transforming lives around us, and to know that we will eventually be forever, forever in heaven with our Redeemer. Then at the bottom of that, I put love from Graham, and on that Facebook posting, I put a little caption. I say, P.S., the text picture below is of me in 1960, right after I purchased my first Fender guitar. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> that something? <laughs> I had a friend of mine that was a professional musician in Europe uh, write to me, but he, he died a couple of years ago, but he wrote and he said, I remember when you got that Fender. <laughs> 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 the chairman of the uh, CBRN board was a prince of God named Charlie Stewart from uh, the Fort Benton area. And what a man put up with me through all the years of that construction and so on, you know. But Charlie used to tell me about how shocked he was when I first showed up with that guitar and amplifier, prying, 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 you know. <laughs> he got used to it. <laughs> right. Now, if I go on with that story, and one little thing about continuity that plays into this, if you're getting it as I relate these things, where people and situations, what a great thing it is to look back and see how the Lord's protected and taken us through things and through the whole process of salvation and growth. And I hope you pick up on that a little bit. And not to say, you know, what kind of hero I am. <laughs> uh, no. But I do like, in this context, uh, Hebrews 13, 7. You know, you know, considering the outcome of these people's faith, but he, the writer of Hebrews tells us to imitate it, imitate their faith. You know how Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, 11, 1 says, uh, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. And he's talking about his evangelism. And also that thing about being commanded to imitate the faith of people. Even at the beginning, I asked you that in, with that in mind. Who do you know that God is saying, yeah, imitate that person? <laughs> oh, we're supposed to imitate Christ. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> but we're commanded actually in the Word to take note of people who have fruitful lives and, and see them as an example to, to follow in their train as the old hymn goes. Is that, you understand me, okay? <clears throat> I 
Can you notice my accent quite a bit? Well, in Australia, they still think I'm American. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and one rough guy, I grew up in a rough community, believe me, but we went to school literally barefoot year-round when I was in grade school, no winter. Yeah, middle of winter, barefoot. If it rained, we might wear a pair of irrigating boots to school or something. <clears throat> and uh, this guy named Billy Gurdum, he was so rough, his father taught him and his brothers how to steal stuff. And uh, I remember him telling us, Dad, it shows us how to pinch stuff. <laughs> and, and over the years, Billy came to Christ big time well, after I came over here. And another guy that got saved the same night I did kind of helped disciple Billy. And I was home a few years ago preaching, and Billy was in the congregation. And because they think, oh, yeah, you talk like a yank, you sound like a yank. They tell you. And... Uh, so I cracked into some Australian li lingo, and Billy was in the foyer at the end, and he said, ah, you still don't say it right. <laughs> <laughs> and I had just preached, I said, shut up, Billy. <laughs> just, just like we're back in Fairfield West, you know. Well, but I wanted to tell you about that night that I got saved, and I hope you don't mind this little bit of going back and forth. That's how I tell stories. <laughs> But uh, um, my father, that night I got saved, he'd been away some, somewhere uh, that night, and, but he knew, and, and my mom knew, that I was and some of my friends were going to be at this evangelistic meeting. They showed a film, I remember, that said that about Barabbas. <laughs> Whom will you have? Who are you going to choose? <laughs> That's, you know. And... Uh, I was out in the front of our place. I said that little gospel hall, rickety old building was right next to where we lived. And so I'm down the front by the road by a big old tea tree that we, I used to climb in when I was growing up. And in the shadow of that tree, I could see my dad's vehicle lights coming down the road. Pulled off the road and pulled up into the driveway. He wound the window down. You know, the steering wheel's on the right in Australia. <laughs> he wound the window down. And I said... Uh, I can still hear my voice. I said, Dad, I went forward tonight. He looked at me in that Shetland accent. He said, oh, I prayed you would. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, that great? <laughs> and thank the Lord for a, for a praying, praying dad. We've got some of them sitting here, don't we? Yep. <clears throat> Actually, it would uh, not be until after I had genuinely committed my life to Jesus that I really began clearly to observe and benefit from Brian, Dave, and Pop's examples and practices. You know how we're often told something's not taught but caught? Yeah. And so that's something I hope, even from this little focus we're having at some level today, that we covenant with the Lord to make our commitment to him and our desire to bring people on in their faith uh, that it's so obvious that they'll catch it the way I did from these guys and some others. Yeah. <clears throat> A scripture that comes to mind in relation to those three men's lifestyles is just a whole one chapter, a whole book, Jude. 
verses 20 and 21, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Those guys I talk about that I want to have you think of too, consistently obeyed that commandment. And again, just to not get bogged down with little side things, but one I really wanted to mention, that Dave, in three World War II battlefronts and in the horrible Kokoda Trail of New Guinea, and God got a hold of him during the war. <laughs> While I was still far from God, uh, these guys, uh, a lot of veterans, started an organization that exists over here too. It's called Open Air Campaigners. And it kind of started in Australia. Dave was one of the beginnings of this, this group. And uh, having fought in the wars, he's in the street meeting. After I got saved, I ended up preaching in those meetings too. <laughs> and uh, a guy came out, and we sat in Australia, King hit him right here while he was preaching. Dave could have turned and killed that man with his bare hands. He just kept preaching. When he got done with his message, oh, the guy ran off cussing, you know. But he'd king hit Dave. And uh, end of the message, Dave turns to the couple other guys, uh, open air campaign, and goes, better take me to the hospital. My jaw's broken. <laughs> he, can you imagine that? What a sissy he was. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Continually obeyed that commandment and uh, faithful to the word and to their calling and thank God just I mentioned those three including my own dad and my buddy Brian there you go mate <laughs> yeah and uh, those <clears throat> early years of my new life in Christ and following more and more in his steps form the beginnings of what I'm thinking of as discipleship continuity that we stick around and be around as long as we can, as long as the Lord keeps us here. The, uh, when I'm home in Australia, they'll quote me, because uh, they know I say it, uh, I say, uh, boy, I hope I can lay rubber all the way into heaven. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, we did have a 396 Chevelle years ago. <laughs> I know about laying rubber. <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, he would but some of you, I've heard a couple of times in Australia, say, yeah, Graham wants to lay rubber all the way into heaven. <laughs> so, yeah. Hmm. Boy, well, what a, what a wonderful thing to know we've got that retirement plan. Huh? Hmm. Then, discipleship continuity, drawing that's the principles of it from First Peter 2. One through four. And I don't tell you specifically to turn to your Bible if you want to, or, or I can just read read it out of my notes here. Second, uh, First Peter one uh, two one through four. Sorry, Second Peter two one through four. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord 
and coming to Him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You can't make that kind of literature up, can you? Isn't that something? What a, what a process. And you know, I might just recommend that passage for a meditation, uh, Second, excuse me, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 4. One significant change that started taking place in my new Christian walk had to do with music. I'd actually been playing and singing in a couple of rock and roll groups. <laughs> we were bad, but I made a little money at it. <laughs> One of my best friends, uh, knowing I was playing rock and roll music, said, you ought to call your group Nicholson and his Blundermen. <laughs> so, yeah, so. uh, <clears throat> but fairly soon, I saw where that lifestyle was heading and began to perform Christian music around Sydney. Well, hmm. Psalm 40, put a new song in my mouth. Instead of playing that, I can still make that racket if you want to. <laughs> and, uh, um, but uh, Psalm 40 was part of my dad's testimony, and Dave Stanton used to quote my dad to me for many years, you know. <clears throat> but uh, that thing, he had put a new song in my mouth. I started singing this song, No other song have I but that of Jesus, the Son of God, <clears throat> who came to seek and save, who paid the price of pardon and redemption, when on the cross his life he freely gave. You ever heard that song? No other song have I but that of Jesus, no other theme but Christ and Calvary. In every glad refrain, I would be telling the wonders of his mighty love for me. Yeah. One thing I was so into that music, uh, I got uh, invited to be on the National Amateur Hour in Australia. I got picked up in a a vehicle and taken to singing it. I don't know how well I did, but I did get up and sing a song. <laughs> but did start singing you know, quite a bit, especially in youth groups, and that's given the testimony and sharing. But 13 months later, that was September 25th of 1960, I got saved. October of 61, you know, 13 months after my conversion, I had helped dig a baptistry underneath the, at the end of that uh, gospel hall. And so one night I got to give my testimony, getting baptized. And we do that when we baptize kids. We train them and have them give a biblical testimony uh, right when, they, when we're baptizing them, standing in the water. And I got to do that. Brian Reithmuller and my dad, Carl Nicholson, baptized this guy. What a, what a joy. I think I might have been the first one to get dunked in that, that, that hole. Hmm. Now, I've, I've mentioned this already, but Dave Stanton and other genuine Christian men, notably World War II veterans, were the founders of the group Open Air Campaigners. You could find them in Chicago, Toronto, New York. A lot of their out, outreach was done real professionally in city street meetings, and many other venues. I and some of my new Christian friends also got involved. So you could 
find us occasionally playing and singing and giving our testimonies in public. This one buddy of mine, Bruce, who got saved the same night I did, he was in the street preaching, and I used to do the same thing in Sydney, kind of the edge of Skid Row. And uh, in Australia, to say you're crazy, they say you're mad, right? And uh, Bruce, kind of a rough guy, a boilermaker by trade. <laughs> and uh, he's preaching, I'm there. And some guy came by to harass him and said, he says, ah, you're mad. <laughs> and Bruce turns and says, you're mad. <laughs> Just when he laid it on the guy. That was, that was Bruce's style, you know. But we would do that. And giving our testimonies in public, of course, the open air campaign of guys and other courageous Christian men sure played big early roles in discipling me. I remember being with them and hearing them share things the Lord was doing in their lives and the hard things they'd share together and pray together. And boy, did they influence me a lot. And the first person I led to Christ, I led to Christ uh, on the curb in Skid Row, one of those meetings. Yeah. Hmm. It was then that I began to form... Um, um, no, I began to learn from real out-and-out Christians the power of continuous examples for effective discipleship and dedication to Jesus. Okay, I keep mentioning these guys. I'm, in a sense, wanting us to think about continuity and people, real people, and to be, be among them ourselves, that they remember us for, for that. Um, Dave Stanton kept track of me for 50 years. He would write a, um, a letter of encouragement, making sure I was still walking the straight and narrow from Australia. Every year he'd write to me. And he died about five or six years ago, and uh, six, seven years ago, and sent a courier-delivered significant gift to our ministry from Australia. Wow, keeping up with it. Content continuity. Hmm. During that time of early growth, uh, my my friend Alan Woodley, who now raises wag, you know what wagyu beef is. Yeah, it's kind of like Kobe beef. Yeah, you can eat it with a spoon. That's <laughs> it's You're right, and they retail it. He's making a few dollars. He's in his eighties now, but boy, I wouldn't want to fight him. <laughs> and, uh, and so Alan Woodley, the guy I got to know, uh, he was a champion table tennis player too. And he wanted to outreach all these hordes of Asian students that started coming to Australia back in those days. And the University of New South Wales, where my uh, cousin is actually a librarian for years, but Alan would go to the dorms at the University of New South Wales and because all the dorms had table tennis tables in them. And he would whip them all, table tennis. <laughs> that guy started that Asian student ministry doing that. He'd take busloads of students to retreats and what have you, Muslim kids and what have you. Uh, I watched Alan serving the Lord that way. And through all the decades, I still see that with him. Consistency, somewhat with Slavic Gospel Association, but a lot of ministry in Australia. And so he set the pace for loving and serving the Lord and personal evangelism, tremendous influence on me.
Now, I'm still, Donnie, you didn't say anything about time, and I don't know if I want to go too much longer. Mm. Thanks. <clears throat> I'll just uh, park here that what happened in those first couple of three years was uh, Alan, my friend, he got a copy of a book you might have seen written by Ellie Maxwell, the founder of Prairie Bible Institute. It's called Born Crucified. Yeah. Jim Elliott quotes Born Crucified. <laughs> and uh, Alan loaned me this book written by the... And Ellie Maxwell fought in the trenches in France in World War I. He's from West Virginia. And uh, read that book, Born Crucified, powerful book, and written around Galatians 2.20 and Book of Romans, and particularly the theme, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, and that was the theme of that. Are you guys familiar with Prairie Bible Institute? Have you heard it? It's called Prairie College now. <laughs> I was on the board of that college too for quite a while. <laughs> Believe it or not. Yeah. And uh, uh, reading that book, I felt the Lord wanted me there. And I told you about Janice, Don't fear thou not, for I am with thee. <laughs> Saved every penny I could and got on a 42,000 ton ship in Sydney and set sail for Canada to go to Bible College in Alberta. This is a place I will kind of just kind of quit. And I, if you can listen to any more of it after a while and. Uh, that'll be great. Uh, can I just say a real quick prayer and then, Lord, as uh, a lot of this is centered around me sitting here in a chair and doing all this talking, Lord, I pray that you would set all this apart really for you and that uh, we all might be able to praise you and see your ways and interpret them in terms of your will and of even of becoming disciples like the people I praise you for today. Give us your blessing, your presence, your joy uh, together today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That's all I got. If you watch KRTV News, they say, well, that's all the time we have, they'll say. Every time. <laughs>